in uh, this section in uh, chapter 8, uh, now verses 22 to 29. Uh, I get caught up in what you're saying, and I haven't looked at the wa- my watch in a good while. So uh, when I get when you get really, uh, you know, needing a break, why, uh, you know, wave at me or I'll fall asleep at the same time or something. Um, well, we've got this uh, blood that's put on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, thumb of his right hand, and big toe of his foot, and then the same thing with his sons, that I think involves the dedication of their ear, hand, and foot to the work of the Lord. They are going to be consecrated to God. And uh, that's a part of this ordination sacrifice. Not seen anything quite like this in the manual of sacrifices because this is a special sacrifice applicable only to the consecration of priests uh, here. Uh, do you have comments or questions further through 24 talking about the application of the blood to the body parts of Aaron and his sons? Can you say that represented again? Well, said, hearing God's word. Hearing his voice, doing his will, walking in his ways. That's not original. In fact, I've never said anything original in my life. But, <laughs> but I do think that's, uh, that's the idea. Um, and then in 25... They take the fat, as we've seen several times, and that's offered to God. And uh, in 26, what else do they have that they uh, that accompanies the offering of the sacrifice? Yes. So you've got a grain offering that goes with this sacrifice. And Aaron and his sons actually take the fat with the grain offering... And they wave them across the altar to the Lord. And then Moses takes the fat and the grain offering and actually sacrifices them on the altar. So, a little different here too. You'd never have non-priests that close to the altar. Even though Moses is the one who actually offers the sacrifices, Aaron and his sons have taken the parts of the animal and waved them to God. And so there are several details of this that are different from an ordinary sacrificial procedure. Um, And then um, Moses in 29 takes the breast and that is waved to the Lord. And then what happens with that breast, evidently? He eats it. Yeah, that's his uh, part of the sacrifice. And so Moses here also is acting as a priest would in eating a part of the sacrificial animal. And then he takes some of the anointing oil in 30 and some of the blood and sprinkles it on Aaron, his garments, his sons, and his son's garments and consecrates them in that way to God. Comments and questions through verse 30. I thought it was funny how they did a wave offering and then they sacrifice it. So they give it to God and gives it back and then they give it back to him. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. You know, Aaron and his sons are giving it to God, but then they give it back to Moses to actually burn it up on the altar. And this is unusual, too, in that normally a wave offering is not later burnt on the altar. So this is kind of an odd wave offering, it seems to me. Max. What's the, in the margin for ordination, it says filling. What's the... We'll go to our resident Hebrew student. Uh, yeah, 
I don't I don't know the answer to that. I think I've read something again, but well, I had read something one time of the idea that the hands were full. Hmm. The offering or whatever, but I don't know hmm. what the What did your margin say, Matt? Filling. I mean filling throughout the That's an interesting idea. While Kyle's studying that, Ben, you want to say something? About the idea of um, the blood that they were going to put on them, you know, that seemed kind of, kind of gross to us, but that was compared to what the day we were up in the That's true. They'll probably be involved in blood in some various ways later. And uh, I don't think they would have thought of it as gross. I think it would have been a very special, you know, exciting, you know, consecration of themselves to God. I mean, I think, you know, it is weird to us, uh, but but I think this would have been a solemn, exciting, special ceremony of dedication to God. Other thoughts? So it looks like the right thighs burned with the fat and the grain? I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah, that's 26, 25, 26. Would it have normally been where the priest would get the right thigh? Maybe they got the right thigh in the peace offering. This is a special kind of offering. We really don't know what the priest part of this offering would be, this ordination offering. So, James. Are these offerings to anoint them as priests or to purify them so they can't be priests? I would have said that the sin offering was to purify them, the burnt offering to dedicate them to the Lord, and this offering more or less to consecrate them or to set them apart for the priestly service. That would kind of be my mental idea for whatever that's worth. Seems like why is our favorite question in here. Yeah, we, we're good at that, aren't we? I don't know why. Eric. Um, are you going to talk really more about like, the order? I guess we kind of talked about some, but like, I was wondering if there are other places. I was thinking about maybe number seven. Um, some places where there's lists of um, sacrifices they did in a certain order. Um, and like, because it seems like it's not always the same. It's not always the same, but it's very commonly sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering. Purification of the sin before we're dedicated to God, before we have the fellowship meal with God. In number seven, it does it like grain, burnt, sin, peace. Is that right? Probably, I don't know. I was just wondering why it would have been burnt, sin. The numbers is not my strong suit, so I don't have a good... Uh, comment on that, but there are sometimes, at least, when the burnt comes before the sin, when there's really no sin involved, when it's just a purification. But I'm not sure if that's true in that passage or not. If my time were unlimited, I would have tried to study more carefully Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy before teaching this. Maybe next time. Kyle, you got something? Well, the word is malayim, which just means consecration word. Who knows? Uh, anything else? Questions or comments? Same. Going back to James' answer, I mean, James' question, 
Well, I don't remember Jay's question now. <laughs> well, the, uh, the offerings, were they for purification okay. or to... Well, I'm saying there were three different animals offered here. First, the bull of the sin offering, which I think would be to purify them from their sins. Then the ram of the burnt offering. The burnt offering is like giving oneself to God. So after they've been purified themselves purified of their sins, then they're like giving themselves to God. And then you've got the ram of this ordination offering, which to me is more or less like a special sanctifying, <coughs> consecrating sort of an offering, dedicating themselves to this particular work. So it's more like a purification and a dedication to God. Not, not really a, like, a, like an anointing of a king, but more of just a dedication to God. Yeah, but also maybe a, a, a something that sets them apart for this work. I, I'm not trying to, to eliminate that idea. That's just my idea. I don't know that I can you know, say a whole lot definitively about that. Anybody else want to say something before we pass on from 30? Yeah. Comments? Answers? Yes, yes. Answers would be even better than questions at this point. All right, 31 to 36. <clears throat> then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tent of meeting and eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of the ordination of offer, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. And the remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn in the fire. And you shall go, and you shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For he will ordain, ordain you through seven days. The Lord has commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord, that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded through Moses. Okay. So now, I think that we are talking about the rest of the realm of the consecration offering, uh, ordination offering. And the flesh was to be boiled and eaten with the grain offering um, there. And then the remainder of the flesh of the bread is to be burned with fire. They're supposed to stay seven days and go through this procedure for seven days. Um, uh, to to fulfill this this consecration procedure. That's the basic idea I see. What questions and comments do you have? Is the tenor meaning that like this isn't doesn't even compound? It means the actual holy place. Is I'm. I assumed it meant like the courtyard in this case, not that they were eating it inside the, the holy place. Anybody want to? That's what I assume. That, that that the whole complex is the tent of meeting. I would have thought. Say. When it says in verse three, thirty-three, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days. Until the days of your consecration are ended, for seven days he shall consecrate you. Mm -hmm. Who is the he there? Is that Moses or the Lord? Good question. 
the he in 33, for he will ordain you through seven days. Is that Moses or God? It couldn't be God because the he's not capitalized. So the translators undoubtedly understood it as Moses. assume that it's ambiguous, you know, based upon our interpretation of the context. It just seems like that through this whole ceremony, the idea is one of the, you know, the seven days and so forth, that it's it's an idea of to- that they're being totally consecrated to the Lord. It's total dedication. And it's just, um, I don't know, I was looking at some of Karen's notes that she had had through studying this before. She had reference to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame becoming the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it seems like that that's the sort of thing that was taking place here for them, that they were, you know, just, it, they entire all of, all of them, they're just, you know, filled with the Lord, and they were entirely dedicated to him. And it's the same kind of idea for his priest today, that we are completely sanctified and totally belong to him. Good point. Yeah. We need to get that out of this. We need to see that total dedication. I'm interested also in 35, so that you will not die. You know, if they don't follow these instructions carefully, there are serious consequences to disregarding God's regulations. Or at least that's the commandment that has been given. Uh, Josh. Um, I think something that is really amazing that they did just as the Lord commanded. You know, they didn't do part of it or, or something like that. They did just what He commanded. They followed everything that He said. I think that's a good lesson for us. <laughs> you see it over and over again here. Uh, and and we need to see the point as we develop it even in, in chapter 9 
as they do everything just as the Lord commands, we're going to see at the end of Leviticus 9 that the Lord comes into the tabernacle or, or comes down to the sacrifice and he accepts it by burning up the sacrifice. That the Lord comes and is a part of, the, of, of, of their worship when they do just what he commands. James? Um, 35, what is the charge of the Lord? I assume their work and service and the things that he's telling them to do here. For these seven days and keep the charge of the Lord, do what he's told them to do. Go through this procedure. Go through this procedure. That's what I would take it as. John? Um, the seven days, is that an exclusive statement that they absolutely were not allowed to leave the complex? Or? I think so. How does that work exactly? They stay there. <laughs> They're, I don't know. You're wondering if they have outhouses in the uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, That couldn't have happened in the compound, right? I guess it could in this case. I don't know. Somebody got an answer to that? Yes. That's the first time I've seen you actually question whether a question was a question to ask. Uh, <laughs> You're making progress, but. Uh, you knew somebody else would ask. I Somebody got an answer for us on that one. Tell you what, there are a lot of things I've never even thought about. Connection with this. And I take it they didn't go out of the tabernacle area for seven days, but how they took care of their basic necessities, I don't know. I just wondered if there was something like in Ezekiel where he was supposed to land his sign, where that wasn't exactly. He didn't do that for that time. This was they were supposed to stay in the complex, but they didn't actually stay there. Uh, here's here's one problem I'd see with that. Maybe so. I mean, obviously, I think that's the case with them laying on his side. However, ten seven, when Nadab and Abihu die, he says to Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar, "You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you." So, I mean, they couldn't have even gone to accompany the bodies to the burial. Now, part of that is because they weren't supposed to mourn the death of Nadab and Abihu, but he also said, because you're not supposed to leave here. You've got the anointing oil on oil. <laughs> Anybody else want to enlighten us? I don't think so. But then it's all bad. They're not to bring up an old joke or anything, but then it's what gets into that. Any, any more thoughts on that? Ah, that's a really good question, but I do not have a good Uh Other thoughts or comments on the end of chapter 8? Eric. Um, I was just reading the Exodus. It seemed, it seemed like, uh, maybe this isn't the same situation, but uh, in tw Exodus 29, it seemed like they were offering a sin of, uh, like offering it every day, each day. Is that right? 
I think so. Okay. I think so. I think this is a seven-day process. Do you agree with that? That's my understanding. Is that the same procedure be gone through each day for seven days? Does it say I'm not sure that it does, other than that they, they like the end of 33, for he will adorn you through seven days. Okay. So that's the way I took that. James? So they go through the whole procedure every day for seven days? I think so. Anybody want to confirm or deny that? In Exodus 29, 36, it says, Each day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement, and you shall purify the altar, and you shall make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. All right, that's helpful. Thank I you. think that's talking about the same situation. It is. I think so. It may, there may be other things even in uh, Exodus 29 that would confirm that. Yeah, I look at like uh, Exodus 29, verses 29 and 30. I think that would also confirm that general idea. Yeah, I, I, that, that, I believe that is the idea. But this is a seven-day procedure. If that's the case, there's probably something practical. Why would you have to repeat? Yeah, Kelly. Well, why would you have to repeat the sin offering and all that each day? Because the sin's deeply rooted, and you've got to, there's a lot of sacrificing, a lot of purifying that needs to be done to overcome that. Yeah, come on. Come on with lunch. Maybe this is in contrast to, uh, well, in an instant, what, was, what were you saying last night about, uh, or in chapter 7, where something touched something and it was in, it was in clean meat, or the blood yeah. splash, or, or the meat that had been set aside had. That's something it was unclean or something. And that happened in an instant. And this here uh, is just showing just how different, if we're going to approach, if they're going to approach God and be in this, this holy role, they would have this long process to be clean before God. Yes. It takes a lot less to unclean something than to cleanse it. I mean, it reminds me of Haggai 2.11. Thus the Lord of Hosts, uh, thus says the Lord of Hosts, ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? The priest answered, it will become unclean. You know, you can touch something holy to something ordinary and it doesn't make it holy. You can touch something unclean to something ordinary, and it makes it unclean. You know, I mean, that's pretty logical. You know, if you have a, a glass of water, and you put a spoonful of dirt in it, will it make the water dirty? Well, what if you have a glass of dirt, and you put a spoonful of distilled water in it? Will it make the, uh, the, the glass clean? No, it takes a whole lot less to mess something up than it does to get it right again. Reminds you even of... Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 10.1 that a dead fly makes a perfumer's oil stink and the, that idea of it's so easy to get something messed up it's so hard to purify it. John? Is it right to put emphasis on the seven days here? The number seven. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, a complete number of days plus there's 
tons of times when there are tons, but there's several times when there's a seven-day process and then a special something on the eighth day, which is what we're going to see here. So I think so. Yeah, Logan. One thing I noticed in both the Old Testament and New that the number seven is used a lot like there was seven days spent in creation, Father God resting, and then there was the when the man asked Jesus how often she could forgive his neighbor, he says seven, and Jesus says seventy times seven. It's just seven, I think, if I remember correctly, is a holy number. Yeah, it's a special number that means perfection or completeness used all over the place in the Bible. Yeah, good point. Other comments and thoughts? James? 31, when they boil the flesh of the... Is that the second round? I think so. That's the way I've taken this. Anybody else want to confirm or deny that? Well, the first thing was burned outside the camp, and it looks like the second one was completely burned. Well, yeah, that's right. Well, the first one is the ram of the burnt offering. They, they couldn't have... All that had to be offered on the altar. So the only ram left would be the, the ordination ram, the second ram. <clears throat> ben? Just an idea I started thinking about yesterday. <coughs> Testament, our, our worship and our service to God is based upon very broad principles for the most part, and we take them in and start application of them through our heart and how we do those things, making sure we come with the right attitude, not necessarily ritual or detail. And, you know, God accepts that based upon how we see our hearts and our attitudes when we do it. And I wonder sometimes there isn't more in the old law of that kind of an attitude. Um, when you think about these things, there are unique situations where it doesn't seem like God specified exactly, such as the consecration of the priest. So, I mean, it can be implied to be specified. Or when you think about you know, the practicality of seven days in the compound, and you wonder, you know, where there's some aspects of that where God you know, would accept things based on their heart more so. And what really makes me wonder about that is when you think about times like in the captivity or, you know, during the kings, when they obviously were not performing the law of destruction, when, you know, there's like a good king would start to try and restore things, and they wouldn't know the whole law. The law had been lost. Or when they came back in captivity, the temple wasn't even built. You know, and they couldn't offer sacrifices like they should have. But they were still doing what they could have, and God obviously was pleased with that because they were working toward his progress. Now, I'm not trying to you know, diminish the need for detail and for understanding, because, I mean, God obviously was very, with Nadab and Abijah in the next chapter, you know, he's very much concerned about that, but there seems to be also some, some examples of times where, you know, things, he was accepting still on this attitude of how they were doing it, with their heart, as opposed to so much, some of these details. I don't know about that's an interesting comment for you to make, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's that's good. That's balanced. I mean, there's some truth to that. There's definitely some truth to that. I cite, for example, how Hezekiah observed the Passover in Second Chronicles, whatever that was, twenty-nine or something. Um, but I think we would need to guard that by the fact that here his emphasis is on just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And it may be that there are situations when they're in the exile, they can't offer sacrifices. You know, God accepts what a man has, not what he doesn't have. And I think God is merciful, and God, you know, gives encouragement to small steps in the right direction. But, but when, we are reve- when we have clearly revealed what the Lord expects, 
and, and he tells them to do it, his blessing comes when they do it just as he commands. And if they change anything, then it's a heart of presumption and rebelliousness, and they're condemned. So, I mean, God, to whom God gives much, he requires much. To whom he gives little, he requires little. There may be times when we see God accepting some things that might surprise us, but there are other times like this where I believe if they'd have deviated in any way, they'd have died. So there's a balance in that, and it's probably good to, to think through that other side, but I think the emphasis here is that the heart of love and trust in God does do just as he has commanded. I certainly didn't mean that in any sort of you know, liberating. We just have to make sure, because you know, usually when people start talking about how well, you know, this is all we can do, and so God, God will accept it because He's so loving. You know, that's true in times like the exile. That was all that they could do. But usually today, when you hear people say something, like that, that's all they want to do. I mean, they they could do a lot more. They're just not willing to make the sacrifices to do it. And so they're saying, well, God will accept this, and that's that's exactly the kind of thing God does not want in Leviticus and in the we say that's all we can do. We better make sure that that is all. I agree. Kelly. It's probably helpful to comment just that, well, this was, uh, if Moses or Aaron had been living uh, liberatedly, uh, you know, he was going to, he was soon to find out his life, if he was going to be in this role in an pleasing way to God, his life was going to radically change. <coughs> and, boy, seven days set apart at the growth tent meeting, other questions not answered. I mean, this was a start of a very changed way of life for him, I suspect, and for at least <coughs> certainly a definite point where he is now a dedicated man of God. Good point. Yeah. And this would make an impression on you. You probably wouldn't have forgotten this week, and I suspect that's part of the point. Other thoughts on eight? Well, we managed to get through this one. Try nine. One to seven. Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf, and a lamb, <coughs> both one year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offering." sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offerings and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and and for your people, and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. Okay. What day is this? The eighth day. The climactic day. The seven days of those procedures of chapter eight. Uh, and now on the eighth day, who is actually going to be officiating? Aaron and his sons. This will be their first day of actual priestly work. And so they take some animals. Again, we sort of gather up the raw material, and then we actually start going through and doing the sacrifices. So for himself, Aaron is to take what animals? A bull calf. Yeah, a bull calf. 
I think so. Yeah. And a ram. The bull calf is for a sin offering, the ram for a burnt offering. And then what animals are to be taken for the people? A goat, sin offering. Calf and lamb for a burnt offering. Ox and ram for a peace offering. And a grain offering. And I have lots of offerings that we're going to see us go through. And the purpose of making these offerings was so that what could happen? So that the glory of the Lord would appear to them. The goal is for the Lord to appear and for the Lord to accept their worship. And uh, so this is what God commanded. And uh, Moses tells Aaron to come and do this just as God said. Their obedience is going to be what will cause God to accept their sacrifice. Comments and questions through verse 7. See that order again. Yes, we do. And we'll, we'll see it a little more clearly as we actually see them executing these sacrifices um, in the next sections. Okay, let's, let's go ahead and see the execution of this. It's probably uh, helpful for us and we can uh, make... Uh, more comments when we come to this. 8 to 14. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of, of the sin offering, which was for, for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar. The fat, the kidneys, and the fatty loaf from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar, and he washed the entrails and the legs, and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Okay. So first they slaughter the sin offering. The calf of the sin offering. Now there's some points to be made right here. <coughs> Why would they need to offer a sin offering? For seven days, sin offerings have been being offered to purify the sins of Aaron and his sons. And yet still, the first thing he offers is a sin offering for the sins of him and his sons. I think you see much need for forgiveness. And then, it's ironic. What's he offering as a sin offering? A calf. Uh, the last time we saw Aaron with a calf was back in Exodus 32. And he wasn't doing quite the right thing with that golden calf. Uh, so that's, that's ironic that his first act of, of making a sacrifice as a priest is to offer a calf for his sin offering. I think that's uh, pretty ironic. And so that's what he does. And uh, what does he do with the blood? The horns of the altar and poured out at the base of the altar. And then the fat is offered on the altar. And what's done with the animal itself? Why wasn't it eaten by the priests? It was for them. They can't eat it, so it's burned outside the camp. Very good. You're getting the idea. Um, comments and questions through verse 11. The blood wasn't taken into the holy place, was it? No, it wasn't. Was that supposed to be? Or, I mean, that was in the manual, right? Yes. 
That's correct. Okay. Do you know why? Uh, no. Okay. That's a good point. Uh, as far as we know, this altar was the burnt offering altar. And even though normally a sin offering for the high priest would have been, the blood would have been taken in to the holy place. This wasn't. Anybody got a comment on that? Thought on that? Maybe so. They want full priests yet. Maybe not. Could be. Same. I had a question. Um, why? I understand that the reasons the reason the priest didn't eat the what was left was because it was there because it was an offering that was of their sin and they were doing this offering. Why didn't Moses eat it? Well, this wasn't Moses now acting as priest. He did that in eight. But now that Aaron and his sons have been consecrated, so they are acting as the priests here. Even though they're presenting first a sin offering for themselves, they are the ones doing it. So we've shifted in who's officiating so at Moses the altar. So Moses is no longer instead of a priest. I they think have, that's correct. They have, high, they have the priest now that have been consecrated, so Moses is now not, not a priest. He's not, exactly. He's not serving as a priest now, Aaron and his sons are. I think so. Is there a reason why... In the sin offering, the blood is poured out, whereas in the other one, it's thrown against the sides of the altar. The reason for a difference. I don't know the reason. Somebody know? Good question, but I don't know. Other questions and comments through nine eleven. Eric. <laughs> I just thought, we kind of already talked about this a little bit, but the idea that, you know, Aaron had uh, this calf that he had corrected um, the, that they worshipped. Um, and the idea that even when Aaron messed up so badly that um, the grace of God um, made him, even put him in a position of responsibility to do a lot of the Lord's work and him being able to do a lot for the Lord. And um, I think like maybe Peter, who denied the Lord and then was able to do a lot for the Lord in Acts. Preaching God's word and things like that. And I guess sometimes I think myself like uh, people. Uh, we all sin, and, it's, and certainly we are forgiven, and certainly we can recognize that. But then we don't see ourselves as being able to do a lot for the Lord because of how weak we are. But if we realize that when God forgives us, He also works through us, then it a lot, helps us do a lot for Him. Exactly. It's encouraging to see this. I mean, we. We must not allow our sins that we've repented of and being forgiven, been forgiven of paralyze us and keep us from allowing God to use us. That would be allowing the devil a double advantage through our sins. I know those are the coins. Um, as you were asking about how to make yet another sacrifice, there was just, there was just the constant situation that we're seeing here. Constantly sacrificing altar for someone's sin every day of every year, and boy, don't you know there was a temptation for the priests to sort of just go through this mindlessly, and yet it's the same struggle struggle we face. And you just warns about not to take our sin lightly, not to be you know, treated carelessly, or, or forget about the significance of it. And that's just what he was showing to them. Good point. I agree. Other thoughts? 
Then we have in 12 to 14, which offering? Third offering. And what animal? The ram. Yeah, look back at 2. So the ram for the, the burnt offering, uh, the blood was sprinkled around on the altar as it was for the burnt offering. And then they cut it up and burn it up uh, in smoke on the burnt off on the on the altar as a burnt offering. So first the bull for the sin offering for the priests, and then the ram for the burnt offering for the priests. Comments and questions. That's a first. Um, Fifteen to twenty-one. Offering and took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, and slaughtered it and offered it for sin, like the first. He also presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the ordinance. Next, he presented the grain offering and filled his hand with some of it and offered it up in smoke on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around on the altar. As for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, the fat tail and the fat covering, and the kidneys, and the lump of the liver. They now placed the portions of the fat on the breast, and he offered them up and spoke on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded. Okay. So uh, someone has suggested that Aaron offered virtually all the kind of sacrificial animals that were offerable here. Uh, this is quite a, a list of offerings. Again, aren't we glad that we've gone through the manual of sacrifice already? This makes a lot more sense to us. You know, it's so much, and I see this in my own study, and some things that I haven't studied very well, then I'm sort of lost, and it all seems kind of boring, and like, this doesn't mean much. But once we've been through this and we understand it, it comes to life. This is rather interesting. We know where we're at. It makes sense to us. And, uh, Often things that we think are boring, which you haven't studied enough to find them interesting yet. We need to get into them and really understand them, and then they'll come to life. So, uh, the first thing he offered, they offer for the people was the goat for the sin offering, and then they present the burnt offerings. Uh, what animals were offered as the burnt offering here? The ox and the ram. That's verse 4. Yeah. No, wait a minute. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. Calf and lamb. I was wrong. Yeah, verse 3. Calf and lamb for the burnt offering. Uh, so you have to go back to verse 3 for that. And then after the um, go to the sin offering, the calf and the the Lamb as the burnt offering. Then what offering? Even before that. The grain offering. And then we have the ox and the ram for the peace offerings for the people. So, think about the order here. Sin offering, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering. I think that's the logical order. That first, there's atonement for sin. We have to be purified from our sin before we can do anything else for the Lord. Then there is the giving of their uh, life and their labor to the Lord. The life given to the Lord in the burnt offering, their labor given to the Lord in the grain offering, 
And then there is the peace offering, the communion with God, the sharing of that meal. So you deal with sin, then you give yourself and your work to God, and then you share in the fellowship with God. I think the, the order is significant there. And so they take the ox and the ram of the peace offering. You see in verse 18, they sprinkle the blood around the altar. In 19 and 20, the fat is burned on the altar. The breast and the right thigh were presented as a wave offering before the Lord and uh, would be consumed by Aaron and his sons. Comments and questions through 21. Bruce says yes. He's an animal expert. I thought that was the case, but you should know. I just I thought so too. I just yeah. Always a male ox. Okay. Well, you know, we don't know much about animals. I sure don't. I mean, you know, I learned a lot just studying the Bible about some kinds of animals. All right, other questions and comments through 21? Bruce? So now, what we just read are things that they No. I think these are the special sacrifices on the eighth day after the seven-day consecration. The daily offering would be the daily burnt offering, right? Was there any other daily offering besides the burnt offering? I don't know, but Hebrews 7, 27 says, Who does not need daily, like those priests, offer sacrifices first for his own sin? I could be wrong. I was thinking that the priests offered one for themselves daily, then for the, the people, and all these different ones to cover everything. And this eliminates the thousands of animals, somebody said by the time. I don't think there were thousands killed every day. No, I don't, I don't think there were thousands killed every day. There were certain special occasions in which there were a lot of animals, and at least in the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, there were thousands. But no, I don't think there were thousands. No. But this is not I don't think so. Anybody confirm or deny that? Well, for sure this was a special day, and what happens at the end of the day shows this to be very special. I don't, I don't think that this was what they were to do every day, but this is what they were to do to, to finalize this uh, consecration, this ordination. Exactly. That's what I think. Exodus 29 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar two one year old lambs each day, continuously. Where was that? Exodus 29 38. Yes, I imagine. I'm assuming. Yes, it is. Yeah, and also Numbers 28 3. You shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs, one year old without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. Shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. Uh, it is a continual burnt offering. Um, so I think that it's this burnt offering together with the accompanying grain offering and drink offering that were offered on a daily basis. Other comments and questions through 21? Right. Okay, in verse 20, it says that 
They put the portions of the fat on the breast and offered them up in smoke. And in 21, it says that the breast and the right thigh were for Aaron presented as a wave offering, and then I'm assuming they ate it. So would that be the breast of either the ox or the ram that was put up in smoke and they ate the other one with the thigh? That's an excellent question. I wondered about that myself. Somebody got any intelligent comments about the, uh, the portion of the fat on the breast in 20 and offered up in smoke, but then the breast and the right thigh in 21 are presented as a wave offering? Would there already have been breasts on the altar from the burnt offering? That's an idea. I don't know. Well, if the burnt offering's converted completely to ash. <clears throat> yeah. I wouldn't think so. I don't have the answer to that question. But it's a good question. What'd she say? All right. She's asking about 20 and 21. 20, the fat, yeah, James is uh, uh, nearly deaf. But uh, the, the fat's on the breast and offered in 20 and smoke on the altar. Then in 21, the breast and the right thigh are presented as a wave offering and Aaron eats them. So how is the breast offered on the altar and sacrifice and then presented as a wave offering after that? Because that's how God wanted it. Oh, I didn't really exactly answer that question. But. So, uh, for, uh, the rest of uh, one of them, uh, there were the oxen and the rams, so the rest of one of them was burnt and the other one. That burnt. might be. That's what Mindy suggested. Maybe that's right. the case. Right. Eric? Were the rest offered with the fat that was on the breast? Is that inherent? Or is well, I don't know. Would there be fat on the breast even? I don't know. Well, it was, uh, isn't that what it says? Well, no, we're saying they now place the portions of fat on the breast. Oh, God. Okay. I think that's the way we should read it. Okay, John, are you going to solve anything or are you going to complicate it more? I'm just going to ask any questions. All right, we'll ask an easy one this time. Um, in verse 21, Aaron um, does everything before the Lord as Moses commanded? Yes. Which is obviously what the Lord commanded. It's just different. I guess that he didn't, it doesn't say he did as the Lord said, he did as Moses said, which came through Moses. It's just whole different. Yeah. Good point. I, I mean, look at like 36 of 8. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. So you've got and then some other passages, uh, several other passages in eight. So I think this is just shorthand for that. Um, Chelsea? Um, is this talking about the congregation here? <coughs> well, what do you mean? What is what talking about the congregation? Is he offering up the sacrifices for the congregation? Yes. 15 to 21, it's the sacrifices for the people. Okay. Um, does he get the back to the I think so. Can he eat it? I think so. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, yeah. If it's a peace offering, can you, even if it's Father Congregation? Yes, alright, yes. The peace offering could be eaten, even though it's for them. I think that's probably the answer. Good, thank you. Bruce. Bruce. Actually, John's observation. 
Observation, yeah. Was it possible to Yeah. Yeah, good point. Okay, that's helpful. Exodus 4 16, maybe. Maybe Exodus 7 1 also. Yeah. Uh, there are questions and comments. Through 21. This is not very profound, but um, in verse 17, at the end, it said something about he offered this besides the burnt offering of the morning, and it just made me think, like, you read it, and it seems like it's really fast. Oh, you offer this, and you offer this, and you offer this, and actually, it seems like it takes a long time, because, I mean, he's offering these things, and it's not morning anymore. Okay. So. A lot of work done here. Other comments? I just, I just wonder if, you know, we're not given this manual and then we're not supplied every detail that took place. You just pick certain things that happened here and that, you know, maybe we should just be able to fill in that these other things took place or whatever because the manual was given. And maybe they're not so different, you know. Maybe they are. I, I don't know. I think some of the comments have You know, as he goes through what's done for the for all the people, I mean, there's no specifics given. Well, we don't really need them. That's already been given in the past. So maybe some of these other things where we're saying, well, why didn't this happen? That happened. Maybe it did happen. This is not supplied. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, that's helpful. And perhaps, I mean, certainly he doesn't give hardly any detail of the offering procedures in 15 to 21. I think, assuming we already read 1 to 7, so... Anything else? 22 to 24. And Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he sat down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Okay, so uh, Aaron blesses the people after he's made these offerings. Uh, Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting, come out and bless the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, which was the goal, verse 4 at the end. And then, dramatically, what happens? Yes. And that, just sends, you know, chills up the spines of the people. You know, God's fire comes. It indicates God's approval of their having done just as God commanded. And their having followed this procedure properly, God's glory appears, and God's fire consumes the sacrifices. Is this the only time fire came from heaven to consume something? Elijah, Elijah the sacrifices in 1 Kings 18... 
Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, a little different uh, result, but still fire from God. The next chapter. The next chapter, Leviticus 10, also a different result. When else does fire come and devour anything? Dedication of the temple in Second Chronicles 7, same thing was done. Okay. Um, Manoah. Yes. Manoah. Who is Manoah? Samson's father in Judges 13, and also in Judges in Judges 6 with Gideon. So there's several times when fire came uh, from God to do something. Might have been numbers. I'm not sure. Somewhere in the Old Testament, there was a uh, group. There's a band of people who said, "We want to be high priests," and God sent fire from heaven. Then He consumed them. Yeah, good point. Number sixteen. Yeah. Right. I, I think this, to me, puts a different light on on Hebrews 12:29 for our God of consuming fire. Well, I took that in a negative way. That because you know, in that context, I think it can be taken that way. procedure, it, it seems to me, was to get their attention and to, to focus them on God and holiness. Yes. And on that that relationship between them and God. discussion and uh, it's helpful to uh, do this really encouraging kind of tiring uh, but uh, and kind of slow but we've gotten a lot out of this and it's been helpful I think uh, I think Sandra will be about ready for us to have lunch so it'd probably be good for us to uh, pray together